You're listening to the Embrace Family Recovery Podcast, a place for real conversations with people who love someone with the disease of addiction. Now here is your host, Margaret Swift Thompson. Welcome back. I have had to learn in recovery that a feeling is just a feeling and it will pass. It sounds so simple, yet it is not. When I have tried to use food and others to avoid and numb all feelings that I believed I couldn't handle. Today's episode is full of feelings and Catherine's sharing is a rich, beautiful example of the gifts of living life on life's terms, even when life has brought so much pain to her. Let's get back to Catherine. The Embrace Family Recovery Podcast. Did you try in the early days to get hold of Brian, intercede with Brian, do something with Brian more than you do now in your journey? Well, I think like we talked about earlier, I would try to intercede. I would even say or think, I'm not sure if I ever said it or not, but think if you really loved me, you would stop drinking. If you really cared about the possibility of me losing three children, you would not drink. The burden we as family put on an already sick person to be responsible for our wellness is deeply profound in this illness. I'm going to be all right if they're okay. Yep. And it's not something that any other illness you feel that way about. Really? Is that true in your experience with your other children? I never thought if you really loved me, you would get well. You accepted they couldn't control it. They couldn't control it. That thought never even entered my mind. How we see this disease so differently. Isn't it amazing? And I thank you for that honesty, because that's not an easy truth to share. But boy, if that isn't recovery at work, because if we don't get real about our truth, even the maybe not so pretty bits, we don't get well. So again, unintentionally, no malintent, your thought with him at some point in this journey was, if you cared enough about me and loved me enough and knew what I've been through, which he does, and didn't want me to go through more, you would stop. And interestingly, I'm guessing, because we don't have Brian here, so I don't know, Brian's disease was telling him, what about my pain of having Mm. lost two kids and having parents who were so distracted and in such sorrow? And Brian has verbalized that, and he has sought counseling for that. He has at points said, I'm so tired of hearing, oh, your poor parents. Mm. What about my pain? Mm. What about being the only one left? The irony on that, Catherine, is that I've interviewed siblings of someone who has this disease. And they have said within their family system, they felt that a lot. 
Like really? the person with the disease is getting all of the attention. What about me? I'm getting on with life. I'm doing the right thing. What about me? It's amazing that everyone in the family has their own unique pain and yet such similarities in the pain. And it's like everyone takes on their own role right. in the disease. You know, I've been thinking about Brian's friendships since he's become sober. And I used to say Brian burned a lot of bridges in his relationships, you know, in his younger years. And Brian didn't burn the bridges. His disease burned the bridges. And, you know, if I could get anyone to understand that, it would be huge. Brian didn't do anything on purpose. Brian was just vulnerable to this horrible disease that has just taken control of his life and has changed it forever. And the ripple effect was change everyone who loved him. That's right. And I'm glad you've said that. And what I was going to say is the work you have done in your Al-Anon and in your therapy, it is so clear that you have an ability to discern and separate him from his disease. That comes through when you speak so vividly. And it makes me so happy for you and for Brian that you have that awareness. But it's been a journey, <laughs> a hell of a journey. <laughs> yes. One we wish no one has to go through. That's right. Not the person with the disease and not the person surrounding the person with the disease. That's right. When you look at the journey, which has been hell at times on earth, for lack of saying it a better way, what are the things that you hold most dear in your solution that's given you peace, that's given you joy? Like, what are the nuggets you'd share with families out there who just struggle to find that? I think I would say. The number one thing is we didn't cause it. You know, those three C's, we didn't cause it, we can't cure it, and what's the other C? Control. We can't control it. And I really feel like I can, most days, all day, hold on to those truths, which has been, for me, so freeing. Mm. Because I did, and we probably all do, blame ourselves. You know, I think if we had not been so distracted with sick kids for so long, really, Brian was three years old when Andrew was diagnosed and he lived for six years. I mean, we always made sure he was well taken care of. And my parents and David's parents were not here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was mostly friends who rallied with us and for us. But it wasn't mom and dad all the time, like, you know, a normal busy family is, you know, with three young kids. So I'd say that was one thing that I hold dear that has helped me cope. Did you ever struggle to believe that about either of the others? You didn't cause it, can't control it, can't cure it. No, I get that never occurred to me. Mm -mm. I didn't think it had by what you said earlier, but I wanted to clarify that. Yeah. The other thing that, continues to be so huge in my life is I set my alarm for 6 a.m. and I spend a couple of hours in prayer and meditation in the morning. And part of it is Bible study, part of it is devotionals and meditations, and part of it is Al-Anon literature. But if I didn't do that on a regular basis, 
I do believe I'd be a bitter old lady. And I'm not, you know, I'm not. And I'm grateful that I have that. I'm Mm -hmm. grateful that I have that faith. Because from that faith has brought me tremendous strength. Mm -hmm. Do you still pray to Andrew? No, not anymore. Okay. And I haven't for a long time. I talk to him, but I don't pray to him. Sure. I talk to both my kids. Would you like to share something about either of them? Andrew was a very wise soul. As I said, he was diagnosed as an infant and he lived for six years. Mm -hmm. And when he was about nine months old, one of his nurses told me, Andrew knows the secret to life. Mm. And to me, Andrew gave in very adult ways. Adults loved him. He didn't have the good friends that most kids have because so much of his time he was in and out of the hospital so many times. Mm. And Abby, every mother ought to have a daughter. Mm. Like Abby. She was one of those kids that, you know, a lot of teenage girls, adolescent girls can be real pains. (laughs) (laughs) And Abby never was. You know, and this was before she got sick. And I remember her, after she died, we got together with her whole medical team to just kind of talk about what happened at the time of her death. And her nurse practitioner said, you know, when kids come into the clinic, when they're first being diagnosed, you just want them to be stupid little kids. Mm. She said, you know, kids aren't going to do very well when they come in and they're so wise. She said, Abby was so wise when she came. She was a joy. Mm -hmm. Her name means joy. Yes. And I have an Abby too. (sighs) I know you do. I I just learned that. Yeah. And she is my joy. And every human being that has been brought into our lives brings us something. And I wish you had Andrew and Abby still with you. I wish they did not have to pass. So how would you describe Brian, who is still with you, but has been kidnapped and hijacked by the disease? Brian has a huge heart. Mm. He would do anything for anybody. He's kind, he's empathetic. His heart is enormous. And I'm so grateful to have him right now. You know, I don't know where he is in uh, making amends to people, but I was the first person that he made amends to. And uh, it was quite powerful. Mm. He wasn't specific more general and he left it open to visit it again which Mm. i'd like to do the more i think about what he said to me with your wisdom catherine on the character defects and the work you've done on yourself have you broached amends with him at this point or ever i have i have just recently 
But that was a question my therapist asked me too. And again, it was not out of any malice at all. Never. I didn't know. I was ignorant of the disease. And I'm just so grateful that we have the knowledge we have about it and the research that's been done about it that helps us to understand. And I said earlier that one of my boundaries was, if you smell like alcohol, I don't want to be with you. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would hold that boundary right now. I can't say, but I feel like the most important thing I want him to know is that I love him unconditionally. And whether he's drinking or not, I'll enjoy our relationship much more if he's not drinking, but it's not going to change my love for him. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Hello, listeners and friends. I wanted to just let everybody know that the Embrace Family Recovery Coaching Group will begin on February 8th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I am thrilled that this will be an ongoing resource for families. I will be offering the group twice a month on a Wednesday evening. Topics starting out this series will be the parallel journey of the recovery process and powerlessness. If you're interested or know someone who could benefit or would like to be a part of this group, please see the link in the show notes below and you will have a link to directly register to be a part of the group. It is a closed group and only people who register will participate. Look forward to seeing you in our first group on the 8th. You're listening to the Embrace Family Recovery Podcast. Can you relate to what you're hearing? Never miss a show by hitting the subscribe button. Now back to the show. Well, that's the vitality of boundaries. They're for you and they're about your well-being, not controlling him. And they can change and and adjust as you have needs that are different. They're not solid walls or they're not permanent. Right. Yeah. I don't know you very well, which is one of the things that I find stunning about this podcast experience of being able to meet these wonderful human beings that are brought into my life by no coincidence as I ever think. But I feel like I have a connection to you and I'm, I'm probably it's Riley because of course we share that love. I have Mila, but I just <laughs> admire you on a level that I probably can't express adequately because the impact of this disease on everyone is profound and heartbreaking and exhausting. But having lost two children prior to this disease manifesting in Brian, the fact that you have embraced a recovery program that has given you the ability to have peace and joy is stunningly beautiful and remarkable. And that's due to you. And I hope you can hold that. Yes, I understand there's all these outside factors, your higher power, your therapist, your solution, but you leaned in. I did. Yes. You wanted to not be bitter. I didn't think it was an option. For me, it was not an option. And I wish somehow other families could hear that without having to go through the sorrow and pain you went through. 
that they could accept that truth for themselves at the point they're at now. Because I, like you, believe your best gift to everyone you love is role modeling your recovery out loud. Whether they do it or not, they see you do it. Well, as I was praying about this podcast, this interview, that's what I prayed for, that my story would flow naturally and authentically through me. And even if there's just a nugget of something that I said, that's good. And I give God the glory for that. I second that. And I add, it also gets to be partly you for your courage and willingness to be of service and share your story in the way you did in the podcast. They couldn't hear it otherwise. And I have no doubt whatsoever that someone out there not only will be touched by your story, but will be connecting to a part of it. So on that vein, what would you leave your number one wish for any listener to do for their well-being? My wish is that if anyone out there has even the slightest inkling to get help, take that step and get that help because you're not alone. And uh, there are so many resources out there for people to help them get on their way because it can be a lonely journey. You know, Mm -hmm. when I think I didn't want to talk about it, I didn't want to share it because what would people think of me as a parent? What would people think of Brian? It was just hard to admit that I'd done the very best I could raising him, and still he became an alcoholic. How does that reflect on me? I will really talk to anybody who will listen because it's such a huge problem in our society today, and it's getting worse. And I just feel like nobody should have to suffer in silence because that's what it is, is suffering in silence. I agree. And it's also living in a place of shame. Yes, yes. Today, you don't live in that place of shame, nor do you put that on your son. He stands in the light of his recovery one day at a time, as you do. Mm -hmm. And I don't know anything else that's worth celebrating than that. I agree with you, Margaret. And I'm going to have dinner with him tonight, and I'll be able to talk about this podcast. And I'm going to tell him, he he texted me today and said, I got called in to work, so I won't be there. I work until 5 or 5.30. I'll be there after that. Boy, that was a big trigger because <laughs> that happened so many times in the past. But that he said, I'll be there after that was encouraging to me. Yeah. And the triggers don't disappear for us, for the person with the substance use disorder or other addictions. The skills, the tools, the techniques we use to help us get out of that trigger and not listen to the monkey chatter that makes it go off the rails. I like that podcast about the monkey chatter. That's spot on. (laughs) Well, I take that in high regard. Thank you, Catherine. I hear from many people, oh my gosh, you've been living in my head. The reality is it's a term I came up with because I knew this was not individual for me. It was a universal experience. Like 
there had to be a yes. title for it so we could identify it. Anything you haven't said you want to, anything you haven't shared you feel is important. I think it's good. I apologize for crying a couple times. I, I didn't want to do that, but it happened. And I will say again, no apology necessary. I think that the saying that saved me around tears that I was taught in early recovery was those of us who cry have an honor and a privilege because we cry for the thousands that aren't able to cry. Well, that's, yeah. Never an apology necessary. And there's also a physiological thing that I recently learned that the content of tears from grief and pain are different than those from joy. And the release is important either way. Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah. And I think sometimes holding back makes it worse. You know, when I'm by myself and I can let yes. go and let those tears flow more readily. Mm. Catherine, I thank you. I thank you for inviting me to do this. I'm honored, Margaret. I have to thank Catherine for being so vulnerable, so real in sharing her story. I was in awe of her capacity to share the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to her own journey of recovery. It is evident in the way Catherine shares that her faith has been a big tool for her recovery and equally has been her education and counseling and support community to help her keep the focus on her and do her own healing. And the payoffs are evident in her lack of living a bitter life, which she says was never an option and has shown to be true in her journey. I want to thank my guests for their courage and vulnerability in sharing parts of their story. Please find resources on my website, EmbraceFamilyRecovery.com This is Margaret Swift Thompson. Until next time, please take care of you.